Welcome to episode 38 of Justice with John Carpe, the podcast from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. I'm the show's producer, Kevin Steele, and I'm here with our host, John Carpe, who is the president and founder of the Center. The lead topic today is the growing number of cracks we're seeing in the vaccine mandates in Canada and across the globe. We can't, of course, attribute this all to one cause except in the most general sense, and that sense is that people have decided they will not be pushed around by governments that are claiming to follow science and data. It is becoming increasingly evident that governments are pushing misinformation harder and harder to support these vaccine mandates. Well, the vaccines are leaky. There are a number of very real concerns over side effects, short and long term. Yet governments keep shoveling out this word misinformation without defining what it is exactly they're talking about as a slur against anyone who challenges their narrative. Now, over the last week in Canada, the big news was that both governments in the two biggest provinces, Ontario and Quebec, have cancelled their vaccine mandates for healthcare workers because they're afraid of causing a crisis in their respective health systems due to labour shortages. I take it that you, John, see these developments as a sign of hope that all these mandates will go down one day? Yes, I do. It was really encouraging to see in Ontario and Quebec, the governments have backed down in terms of coercing healthcare workers to take this experimental mRNA vaccine. And I say experimental just because normally vaccines take 25 years, 20 years, 15 years, 10 years, 5 years to really prove whether they're effective and whether they're really safe. Uh, What are the long-term consequences? That has not been done here. These vaccines have been created over the course of months rather than years, and they have not been subjected to any long-term safety testing in people. And this mRNA vaccine, which I I hope for the sake of the billions of people that have taken it, I I hope it's it's wonderful and effective and I, I Hope people I care about very deeply have uh, have have received this vaccine one or two doses. So I I really really hope that there won't be anything bad long run. However, we don't know, and it's not uncommon in medical history where there are drugs and treatments where you don't see the negative effects until two, four, six, eight, ten years down the road. So that's I'm clarifying. This is why I call it the experimental mRNA vaccine. Prior to a year and a half ago, the mRNA vaccine was not used on people. So this is a a very short time uh, in which to be producing something that uh, presumably billions of people uh, around the world have now received. Right. Well, how does this look from a justice center perspective? I mean, it's what seems to be working is the fact that the governments, at least in Canada, the two big governments are just simply afraid of screwing up by getting rid of too many people and, you know, already stressed systems will have increased stress. Do you think it'll help on the legal front at all? Like, you know, them getting rid of the mandates for the healthcare workers? Well, it's it's a big battle for freedom and the, the war is being fought on different fronts. So it's being fought in the courtrooms, it's being fought uh, in the culture. What is the understanding of people about uh, the vaccine uh, is being fought out politically by uh, you know some politicians in in different provinces are uh, against 
mandatory vaccines. They are a minority of, of politicians, but they are there and they are speaking up. It's a war uh, fought in the realm of science where prominent doctors and scientists are warning about problems. Uh, so it's a multi-front war. So in that context, I think it's wonderful that uh, in Quebec, initially the government had said all healthcare workers need to have been injected with the experimental vaccine by October 15th. And October 15th came and there are something, some media reports say 14,000, other media reports say 22,000 healthcare workers, which I gather included doctors and nurses, but presumably others as well, maybe licensed practical nurses, nursing attendants. 22,000 people in Quebec said no. And the government backed down and said, well, okay, well, we're, we want you vaccinated by November 15th. Well, uh, we're not even at November 15th, and the Quebec government has blinked. They cannot afford to lose 22,000 healthcare workers. And Ontario, according to media reports, uh, I, I think has also blinked and is not, um, is not proceeding with coercing the vaccine on healthcare workers. So in Canada's two largest provinces, that is a, a huge victory for, uh, for the cause of freedom. Because this is not about uh, you know, there's all kinds of things that choices that we make that in a, in a free society, you can make some bad choices, uh, especially if they only impact yourself. So we don't outlaw tobacco. Uh, we no longer outlaw marijuana. Um, we don't outlaw an unhealthy lifestyle. We don't outlaw obesity. We don't control and regulate how effective uh, people are as as parents. I mean, good parenting is a wonderful thing, but you know, unless you're a really really terrible parent, the government's going to stay out of it and it's not going to start micromanaging how you raise your kids. Oh, that's becoming less true in the last decade or two with some of the parental rights battles that the the justice center has had to fight. So basically, in a free society, you've got that freedom to make good and bad choices, and you should accept the consequences of your bad choices. So in the context of this vaccine, which very clearly does not stop the spread of COVID, and any thinking person can see that when you look at heavily vaccinated countries like Israel and Iceland, and when you look at university campuses that have you know 98% vaccination rates, all over the globe, you've got countries, cities, provinces where you've, you've got this overwhelming vaccination rate, and yet the virus spreads. We also know that this new uh, mRNA vaccine does not work against the Delta variant. Natural immunity is much more effective against the different variants. The mRNA can target only, you know, the COVID that uh, that, that we had in 2020, but it's not very useful against variants. So, long and short of it is that the the vaccine does not stop the spread of the virus. We know that. So. The only benefits to the vaccine are personal benefits. So if you yourself want to take the vaccine, then the promise is that you will get less severe symptoms. It doesn't stop you from getting COVID. It just means when you get COVID, you'll become less sick than what you would have been without the vaccine. So it's, it's a personal choice and nobody should be punished for a personal choice. So even if the vaccines have no risks, and even if the long-term safety testing proves that the vaccines were not dangerous, uh, it's still a personal choice uh, that should not be coerced on people.
Right. Okay. I just want to insert my observation here that it was labor market dynamics that seemed to drive the Quebec mandate because I, the way I received the news, and I'm not completely sure of the timeline, was that Ontario came out and dropped their mandate. And then a little later, the same day, Quebec dropped their mandate. And I know that it uh, it would be difficult for a Quebec nurse to move to Ontario, but not that hard if it were for a job. It would be difficult for a Quebec nurse to maybe go to Alberta, or it might be difficult for an Albertan nurse to go to Ontario simply because of the distance and the dislocation. Uh, maybe that's why we haven't seen Alberta cave yet or BC cave yet. But at this point, the majority of the population in Canada, you know, their healthcare workers are not being mandated. Do you see this and maybe traveling across the country? Because we know in BC, they lost 4,000 healthcare workers uh, due to their mandate. And uh, I think they even set up an unvaccinated clinic of nurses in Kelowna. I'm, I, it was either in Kelowna or Kamloops. Anyways, the dynamics are affecting the healthcare system, like I say, in BC. Obviously, they're going to do it in Alberta as well. Can you see this spreading? Well, I hope so. Take, in, yeah. in in Alberta, the Alberta Health Services has also uh, backed down on some of its deadlines, and we see the city of Calgary has backed down on on deadlines. So this is really good, and I would encourage listeners uh, to you know themselves and tell tell your friends stay strong uh, because the only way government can win is if the uh, once once the unvaccinated if the unvaccinated ever get down to you know a one percent minority, well then it becomes very easy. Uh, becomes a lot easier for governments to just, you know, further strip away our, our rights and, and freedoms and human dignity by coercing us into uh, into taking this this experimental vaccine. So I, I think it's very positive. Even now, the fact that a BC nurse could move to Ontario if he or she wanted to, or an Alberta nurse could move to Ontario or Quebec, I, I have an impression that that they're probably hiring more healthcare. People in, in Ontario, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, I actually, I saw this strategy play out, of course, down in Florida first when uh, their governor there, DeSantis, uh, started putting out that he would pay $5,000 to uh, police officers uh, that would come move from other places when they lost their job down to Florida. So he was offering this, you know, bonus. And uh, at the time, I thought, well, what if the Americans start doing that with healthcare workers? Because we know back in the 90s, I think it was that we lost a lot of healthcare professionals, nurses, and doctors to the United States simply because they were offering better wages. I suppose uh, that could happen again as well, particularly in BC and Alberta, if uh, somebody just south of the border decides to uh, to open it up. Well, and it's not it. It is a ha moving from Canada to the United States is a bureaucratic hassle. I don't know if it be going too far to call it a nightmare. There's bureaucracy involved and paperwork involved. But fundamentally, if you get, if there's an American employer that, that uh, fills out the paperwork that says, you know, we need, uh, we need uh, Mr. John Canadian to, uh, to come down here to, uh, to, to fill this position. If an American employer fills out the paperwork, it is not that hard to, um, to get a TN visa, a trade NAFTA visa, uh, you can go down for three years. Uh, you can take your family with you. Your kids can go to school. So it's not it's not an insurmountable obstacle for Canadians to move to the U.S. provided that an American employer 
uh, fills out the paperwork and says that they need that Canadian to come and work in the U.S. Right. So this is something Canadian politicians had better uh, bear in mind. Well, I'd like to see it actually happen. Alberta can do that to BC because I know that Bonnie Henry has really angered the healthcare workers there. I know when the pandemic first started, she was idolized by uh, healthcare workers. They thought she was the perfect person for the job. She was so sympathetic, empathetic. And uh, now uh, when they heard her say the other day that, uh, well, if you're not going to get the vaccine, then maybe you're in the wrong profession. Maybe nursing isn't for you. That, a lot of them just blew the top off their head when they heard that. And they just, that was it. Bonnie Henry became, she, she just sank in their estimation. So, you know, I mean, maybe Alberta can just drop their mandate and we can pick off a few of those 4,000 nurses. <laughs> I don't know. It'd be odd that, you know, I suppose not that odd because, you know, we are res suffering some uh, labor market shortages, not just in healthcare. There seems to be uh, uh, something of a dynamic changing in the labor market. It would be somewhat ironic if it was, uh, it wasn't the rights of the normal rights of people, but just the uh, ability to uh, walk, pick up and move that, uh, cause the uh, mandates to fall apart. It's especially galling, too, for the healthcare workers in BC and other provinces, uh, having been celebrated publicly by everybody as heroes, right? We've just yeah. heard since March of 2020, uh, right through to August of 2021, for a good year and a half, all the nurses and doctors and all the healthcare workers uh, and, and presumably also all the firefighters and police, these were all heroes. And now... Uh, say well, unless you take this experimental injection, you're you're vile, disease-spreading leper, and we're going to terminate your employment. Is that how we treat heroes? I mean, it just uh, it, it makes it seem almost insincere. All of the uh, praise that that uh, politicians and chief medical officers were heaping on the health professionals uh, only three months ago. I'd like to go through a brochure that I uh, got. This is very timely. I just got it uh, in the mail yesterday from the Alberta government. This is an urgent health message, an urgent health message uh, uh, surrounded in uh, bright yellow font. So you got black print on yellow, really stands out. Essential COVID-19 information for all Albertans are inside of this brochure. And I want to go through this because I think that the... Uh, I think every other government is on the same page with Alberta, more or less. And I want to see how many of the claims on this brochure we can get through. I didn't get it, by the way. I should point <laughs> out it is probably going to receive it on Monday. But uh, when John held it up and showed it to me, I was like, what's that? Is that what's from you guys? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, I doubt that the Alberta government singled out my home amongst the millions of home in, homes in Alberta for uh, for delivery of I this, meant uh, Calgary uh, as opposed to Edmonton Calgary versus Edmonton yeah yeah so um so here we go vaccines are safe vaccines save lives uh, getting vaccinated is the best way to protect you your loved ones and your community from covid-19 well this presupposes that COVID is an unusually deadly killer that we should all be afraid of when the government's own data, uh, which now we've got, you know, a year and seven months of data. And COVID has not increased the death rate in Canada. The number of people dying in Canada in 2020 was in line with 2019, 2018, 2017. Um, 
even if it was up, we'd have to look very closely at is is the death rate up because of more uh, suicides and uh, problems resulting from mental health issues and canceled surgeries, delayed diagnostics? Is it the lockdowns that are making the death rates go up? So that's, uh, yeah. that's I another... Should foot- I should footnote here that there was a study out of Italy, the National Institute of Health, I think, that uh, did an audit of the deaths there. And their conclusion was that the uh, number of people that died of COVID exclusively was uh, something like uh, 3% of what they had claimed. So 97% or something like that was hacked off because those people had comorbidities, sometimes two or three. And so that was their national audit. As far as I understand, it's not the... Uh, official count, but that is an audit that somebody did of the deaths in Italy where they were hit particularly hard. They lowered it from something like 100,000 to 3,000. That's absolutely true. When you've got uh, people in nursing homes where the average life expectancy, depending on jurisdiction, is 12 months, you don't go into a nursing home unless you're already very sick and you're in very poor health and your immune system is compromised. Our immune system does get weaker with age, right? So the average 70-year-old will have a weaker immune system than the average 50-year-old who will have a weaker immune system than the average 30-year-old, 20-year-old, and so on. So in, in Alberta, and not every province does this, but Alberta Health Services for the past year and a half, to their credit, you can go on the government website and there's a chart there for comorbidities. Fully 75% of the uh, people dying with covid they have three or more, not just one, not two, three or more serious health conditions like cancer, emphysema, heart disease, uh, diabetes, et cetera, et cetera. So these very sick people who are in their last 12 months of life, they are vulnerable to COVID and COVID will shorten their lives by several months. And you know every death is sad and we should do whatever we can to protect the seniors in nursing homes. Uh, no government has put forward any compelling evidence to show that locking down the entire population uh, has saved any lives in nursing homes. In fact, it's the fear-mongering that the government started and are continuing with today. The fear-mongering in Quebec caused workers, people in their 20s and 30s and 40s who are workers in staff of nursing homes, did not show up for work because they're terrified of catching COVID and dying of COVID. When the truth is, if you're under 70, uh, driving to work to go work at the nursing home it poses a greater risk of death than being in the nursing home and and dying of COVID. So these are these are hard facts that the yeah I I think you should finish that off though those people not showing up for work caused a lot of suffering and death yes and it was it was particularly awful because we heard stories of nurses that stepped into the breach to go help out there and uh, yeah their, their eyewitness accounts were really heartbreaking. I just want to point out one other thing about that first point that you talked about there, vaccines save lives, et cetera. Yes, that's all well known. Um, I just want to point out that they recently, CDC, I think, recently changed the definition of vaccine so that it would include the protection of the mRNA uh, injection. So that, uh, yeah, they are... uh, I guess relying on the history of vaccines and changing the definition now in order to make it sound like what they're doing is possibly saving more lives than they might be. Just they're trying to capitalize they're trying to capitalize on the good reputation that that 
vaccines have had in the last few decades. The majority of people, uh, myself included, uh, think very highly of the polio vaccine. Polio was just reading this, uh, looked up polio on the internet. It was just a horrific, horrific disease that was crippling and killing so many people. I had the polio vaccine, um, received it as, as a baby or, or, uh, in, in early childhood, I don't, I don't remember, but I'm, I'm told I've received it and I'm glad that I did. And, um, it was considered a childhood disease. As a matter of fact, it was, it was hitting a lot of young children, actually. It so, was. Yeah. So there, so there's a good reputation that vaccines have had and the government's trying to capitalize on that. Also by the intellectually dishonest, uh, calling people who are hesitant about this new MRA vaccine, calling them anti-vaxxers. You go back a year and a year and seven months ago, an anti-vaxxer referred to an individual who was against the you know polio vaccine. All right? vaccines, yes. And and all vaccines. And there are people, yeah. there are people in Canada that are against all vaccines across the board. And and their kids are not vaccinated with with anything. You know, and that, that's fine as far as their opinion goes. But to, to twist that and to say, well, if you are hesitant about this new MRA, mRNA vaccine, then you're, you're an anti-vaxxer. That is intellectually dishonest because there's lots of Dr. Francis Christian in Saskatchewan is one, I could cite you, you know, the names of dozens of doctors who say, they state emphatically, I am pro-vaccine. You know, I've been vaccinated. My kids have been vaccinated. I'm pro-vaccine and I have concerns about the new mRNA vaccine. And those are not to call those people anti-vaxxers is intellectually dishonest because that's capitalizing on a negative stereotype in the same way that governments are now trying to pretend that this new vaccine that's not been subjected to long-term safety testing is somehow on par with the polio vaccine that has been used for decades. And that's well, you call it intellectually dishonest, but I mean, why don't we use this the term the CBC uses that the College of Physicians and Surgeons uses? Misinformation. It's misinformation. They accuse everybody else of passing out in misinformation. But it seems to me they're as guilty of it as anybody. That is, the official uh, narrative is as guilty of it. Anyways, let's continue Here's, with the official narrative. Well, here, here is some misinformation uh, in the brochure. It says the COVID vaccines are safe, effective, and prevent serious illness. Now, for safe, um, yes, up to a point, uh, but we don't know the long-term effects. I was uh, getting some information yesterday about how uh, apparently a lot of athletes are suddenly complaining of heart problems that they hadn't had previously. So that was all over can, the Twitter, by the way, the how, JCCF Twitter. Had how can like 10 of them listed right in a row? How can you say that this is safe when you've got these uh, concerns? There's an article in the Epoch Times just the other day with researchers saying that pregnant women should not, especially not in the first trimester, pregnant women, there is a high rate of miscarriages uh, amongst women taking the COVID vaccine in the first trimester of pregnancy. So to, to simply say they're safe, that's overly simplistic. It is overly uh, confident. It's not a very scientific approach. It's a very political, across the board uh, declaration and it, that, that's more political than scientific. Then they say the vaccines are so safe, effective, and prevent serious illness. Well, effective, 
golly gee, uh, everybody in Israel has been told that your vaccine passport is not valid until you take a third shot, which most Israelis now have done. And they're talking about a fourth shot. Uh, British Columbia is talking about a third shot in January. So these are not effective if you need them once every six months compared to natural immunity, which is longer lasting. And until a year and seven months ago, it was settled science that natural immunity is better than vaccine immunity. We all knew that to be true. Now, all of a sudden, uh, we have to pretend that these new vaccines are better than natural immunity. The evidence so far is against that, in particular, a large Israeli study on 700,000 people showing that those who had had COVID and had recovered from it had stronger and longer lasting immunity than people getting the experimental injections. Yes, and now we have the Pfizer pill coming out, which is supposed to be like, you know, 90% effective. So maybe we're going to go back to therapeutics, but only ones that cost a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. so the COVID vaccines prevent serious illness. Well, prevent is a pretty strong word. I mean, yes, the evidence suggests that for a lot of people getting the vaccine, that that it is working to make them less sick than what they would have otherwise become. Fair enough. Uh, this is why we get back to the area of choice, okay? I'm not against uh, the existence of these uh, new vaccines, and people should be free to try them, but it should be a matter of choice, uh, a matter of bodily autonomy. It's pretty scary when the government dictates what you must inject into your body, and, and it's just outrageous that you hear uh, otherwise intelligent people screaming that, well, you have a choice, you have a choice. Well, no, actually, if, if the government is threatening to terminate your employment, you don't have a choice. You not just terminate, you can't fly on an airplane, you, you can't, can't go on a train, you know, come on, this is not You can't play this team sports, a... you can't be part of, yeah. there are so many, um, I spoke at a rally. I would in, say it's intellectually dishonest to say. No, no, misinformation, sorry, <laughs> that they have a choice. Go ahead, yeah. I spoke with uh, Mother, I was speaking at a rally in Oak Tokes on uh, Sunday, October 31st, and um, Dr. Daniel Nagase was another speaker. He's the Alberta emergency room physician who's uh, facing all kinds of sanctions from Alberta Health Services because he successfully treated patients with ivermectin. How dare he do such a thing? And uh, but there's a mom came up to me and said that her 13-year-old son is so depressed. He's been so hard done by by lockdowns in the last year and a half, and now he can't play sports. We have 13-year-olds that are not allowed to play hockey or not allowed to be part of their martial arts studio. Uh, so this is this is health to take kids away from sports, really. No, this, this is, is, this is control. public health. We know we know it's not public health anymore. I mean, that's probably the biggest misinformation that's out there is that these people, these public health officials, are pushing public health because you know when you're firing healthcare workers, uh, you're not promoting public health. You're actually hurting the system. Uh, we know that the infection rate amongst nurses very low. We know that they the reinfection or the uh, cross infection in hospitals was not that not very deadly. We know that from uh, a uh, training video out of BC, as a matter of fact. So yeah, they're not promoting public health. They're promoting control, as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, that's the biggest intellectual dishonesty there is. More intellectual dishonesty 
uh, and more, inf- more misinformation here on this government brochure. It says even the young and healthy should get vaccinated. I would ask why when the, the, the death rate amongst the under 20 uh, demographic you've got, it's statistically insignificant. It's down to the point of lightning strikes. Uh, so in the same way that you might get one or two children, three or four children per year in Canada that die of lightning strikes, uh, that's the number dying of COVID. So even the young and healthy should get vaccinated is false. And then it says anyone can get seriously ill from COVID-19. Well, again, down to statistical insignificance. If you've got one or two or three under 20 people that are getting seriously ill with COVID uh, in a country of 38 million people, this is down to, and it's not minimizing the gravity of the situation for those individuals, but you, public health should be based on uh, probability and statistics. Why do we get into a car? Because the risk of dying is pretty small. Now, the risk is still there, and you can be the best driver in the world, but you, you can get your car hit by somebody else who's not the best driver in the world, whether they're impaired or just driving poorly. You can get killed even if you're the best driver. Every time you get into a car, you risk your life, but because the chance of getting killed is so small, we all, eh, not everybody, but okay, most of us, we all get into cars as, as passengers or as a driver, and we drive from point A to point B. Because we make a judgment that on a risk assessment, the, the risk of getting killed or injured is so low and you get these practical benefits like being able to drive to the store and buy your groceries and drive them back home rather than walking or using public transit, uh, which, mm-hmm. you know, in Canada, when it's 40 below in, in wintertime, uh, you don't want to have to walk a mile to, to go buy your groceries. You want to be able to drive there. So... Uh, anyone can get seriously ill from COVID-19 is false. Well, technically it's true. You know what I mean? It's just, you know, they make it sound like it's a broad. Well, listen to this lie. Thousands thousands of Albertans have died, including many young, previously healthy people. Well, thousands of Albertans have died. Let's break. Let's. This is right here. I'm reading. This is a government brochure. No, 3,000, I think, is our death toll right now. But then again, you know, that could be revised depending on whether we get an audit or not, or whether we can audit simply from publicly available information. But at any rate, so the technically thousands, yes, 3,000. But the whole thing about young, healthy people dying, I don't know about that. So it says thousands of Albertans have died, and they're not providing context here. In Alberta, 27,000 people die every year. So in a year and a half, they say that 3,000 people have died with COVID. But the government's own data says that 75% of those deaths are uh, people over 80 with three or more serious health conditions or people over 70 with three or more serious health conditions. That is a demographic that is threatened by COVID. And to pretend what they say here, thousands of Albertans have died, including many young, previously healthy people. That's simply not true in the context of 27,000 deaths. To say that many young people have died of COVID, uh, again, your your car accident deaths are a higher number than um, amongst people under 70. Your car accident deaths are higher than your COVID deaths. I don't see government propaganda here telling us that we all need to give up our private vehicles and you know switch uh, exclusively to uh, public transit which by the way you know would public transit actually be safer than private vehicles that would be another point the government would have to demonstrate then it says if you've had covid-19 you should still get vaccinated so this is uh 
this is making a, a very bold claim that natural immunity is inferior to the immunity with this brand new experimental vaccine. You know, there's just there's just no science here. It, it's disgusting. They could say this maybe after five or ten years. Uh, mm-hmm. may, maybe they could actually have uh, proper uh, testing and, and have large uh, control groups and have a large group of uh, people with natural immunity and a large group of people that got the COVID injection and have the two groups be comparative in terms of age and gender and breakdown. Uh, a long-term study potentially could show potentially that this particular vaccine is better than natural immunity. The research to date suggests very strongly that natural immunity is better. So here, again, this is propaganda, right? If you've had COVID-19, you should still get vaccinated. Are you sure this isn't this uh, thing isn't sponsored by Pfizer? Or is it, it is from the government, right? It's got a little Government of Alberta logo on it, and it says, um, all statistics from Department of Health, Government of Alberta, current as of October 19th, 2021. And on the front cover, it's got, I mean, yeah, theoretically, this could be some uh, fraud forgery that that some non-government actor has gone through the time, effort, and energy of coming I'm out with kidding, this. I'm kidding, John. You don't, <laughs> <laughs> don't get all weird on me, man. That was yes. A joke. It's a government <laughs> brochure. So then it says vaccines are far less risky than getting COVID nineteen. That might be true for people over seventy. To to suggest that that the under seventy crowd that the vaccines are less risky. There's no hard data to uh, to back that up. That is a political claim. So we're finding a brochure of politics here. Well, maybe that's you know why it's from the government because it's a political entity. Like I say, it sounds like a sales brochure to me at this mm. point. It says the only exception is those who have a history of anaphylactic reactions to vaccine ingredients. The only exception. Uh, that's false. We know that there is myocarditis in young males. Young males oh, should that not brings be. Up, they introduced the whole topic of vaccine ingredients. Isn't that interesting? Do we know the ingredients of the vaccine? As far as I've seen in the contracts that have been available, uh, they redact a lot of that information. Hopefully, we're going to get a hold of some of the contracts and see whether they're going to let us know what ingredients are in there. Anyways, continue. but even if even if a government website says that um, you know the uh, the, the non vaccine ingredients are A, B, and C, I, I'm at a point now, unfortunately, where I've seen so much dishonesty in the past year and seven months that you know ordinarily I, I would I would just accept it at, at face value if the government said uh, the ingredients are A, B, C, and D. But my experience in the last year and seven months, you know, asking simple questions like asking the Alberta government, you know, how did you come up with this fear-mongering number of 32,000 deaths that, that could result from COVID, right, which is higher than the total annual deaths in Alberta is 27,000. In April of 2020, the Alberta government uh, warned that even with lockdown measures in place, we could see 32,000 deaths. I've asked the government repeatedly, how did you come up with this 32,000 number? What is it based on? I get no answer. I get stonewalled. Um, uh, there's not a single government in Canada, to my knowledge, that has done a comprehensive cost-benefit analysis on lockdowns and actually taken a, a humble, scientific, objective approach and say, well, let's just take an honest look at how many people have been killed or harmed by lockdowns, how many people have benefited from lockdowns, are those benefits actually attributable to lockdowns? 
just an honest inquiry, uh, doing a cost-benefit analysis, which people do in their daily lives about all kinds of decisions. Businesses do a cost-benefit analysis, yet there's not a single federal or provincial government in Canada that has done a comprehensive cost-benefit analysis on lockdowns. That tells you where government is coming from, and if government is not trusted, government has only itself to blame. Well, maybe this is a good time to just pause for a second and ask you, do you have any update on the Alberta court case? Because wouldn't it be great TV to be waving that brochure in Dina Hinshaw's face and, you know, dramatic Perry Mason style stuff? Uh, do you have any update on that yet? Or is it just not, sort of, not, not since Alberta's chief medical officer, Dina Hinshaw, went on holidays uh, right. during the time that she was supposed to be uh, available to be cross-examined which is to be questioned under oath for the first time. Uh, unfortunately, uh, this is another big uh, legal angle. It's not not only our, our charter freedoms to move and travel and associate and assemble and worship uh, being violated, and now our, our right to bodily autonomy, not only are the charter rights and freedoms being violated, but in our system of government, according to the Canadian Constitution, the uh, laws should be passed by the legislature, which is accountable to the people. And you've had politicians uh, cheerfully and blithely abdicate their responsibility for lawmaking to one unelected, unaccountable uh, public health officer. And this is still the case in Canada today in every province. It's the public health officers are unilaterally uh, either making laws or uh, exerting a huge influence on the substance of laws and that's contrary to our constitution because laws should be passed by legislatures. There's not even a questioning mechanism set up. I mean, this would, this wouldn't be a, a perfect solution, but you could at least say that once a month, the chief medical officer has to submit to questioning by elected officials and has to answer questions. And this is not, this has not been happening in any province or federally where the chief medical officer is publicly questioned by elected representatives about the public health measures. So this is a blatant violation of our constitution. Right. But I would also like to uh, just put in uh, my little uh, point about the courts. They seem to be allowing the governments to kick the can down the road. You know, we don't get the injunctions stopping them from taking away our rights. We get the deference shown to the governments by the courts, uh, at a certain point, you could say that's understandable. But now we're talking about what are we, you know, nearly two years into this thing, and uh, I don't, I don't think they should be allowed to defer the uh, imposition of our rights uh, that amount of time. You know, especially when they're talking about locking people off the platforms of trains and out of uh, airport waiting lines. The brochure goes on to say. Because COVID-19 is a new virus, no one has previous immunity. That is a bald-faced lie. There are <laughs> lots of people that have the immunity. Not all of those have yet, you know, paid their $126 to, uh, you know, to go to a lab like we've got ICOR blood services in, in, in Calgary. There's more and more people, if, if they have the, the money and the time to go get the test, they have COVID antibodies. So again, government wants to be trusted, but when they make a claim in the brochure, because COVID-19 is a new virus, no one has previous immunity. No one? After a year and seven months? I mean, that's, that's an outright lie. 
how much does it cost to get vaccinated? The COVID-19 vaccine is free. There is no cost. Well, that's a bald-faced lie. I'm going to do my best to inquire. And I've, I've heard somewhere that, that it was $500, $800, $900 per shot. I don't know if that's true. I'm going to find out how much it costs. But it's not free. It's paid for by taxpayers. So there's another lie. <laughs> the vaccines protect <laughs> you from much. severe disease, hospitalizations, and death. Well, yeah, there could be some protection, but there's no nuance here. Uh, this is a political brochure. The fact is, if you're under 70, your chance of, of getting killed or harmed by being in a motor vehicle is, uh, is, is higher than COVID. Now, later on in the brochure, they contradict themselves. Here, there's, here I see some honesty. Two doses of COVID-19 vaccine will protect most people from getting sick, having to go to the hospital, or dying if they do catch the virus. Now, there's some honesty. Most people can get protected. That's the kind of thing I can respect as scientific if you come out with a, a, a more nuanced claim. But, you know, just the categorical vaccines protect you from severe disease, hospitalization, and death. Well, no, not true. Now, they make the same bold and bald assertions uh, about the spread. Protecting yourself makes it more difficult for the virus to spread to other people. Well, no, we see the virus spreading all over the world, including in cities, provinces, countries where you've got 80% vaccination rates. And here we go, the fear-mongering on children again. The vaccine also protects those who can't get vaccinated, including infants. Well, infants are not threatened by COVID. So infants are, are getting protected from something that doesn't threaten them, right? Intellectually dishonest. Do the vaccines work against variants? Yes, the vaccines are effective against all the variants. Okay, well, tell that to all the injected people that have got the Delta variant. Again, do the vaccines cause variants of concerns to spread? No, the vaccines are helping reduce the spread. And I, I'd venture if, if I ask the government uh, for actual scientific reports, peer-reviewed studies that show that the vaccines are reducing the spread and not just providing protection to, to individuals, I would get stonewalled the way that uh, myself and other people, you ask the government a straightforward question. You ask them for the hard data, which, by the way, there's no reason they can't just post that on their website and say, here's our scientific studies and reports. But no, at least in Alberta and other websites I've seen from other provinces, the governments typically don't list the actual research that they're basing this on. Do children age 12 to 18 need the vaccine? Yes, the vaccines can prevent your child from getting and spreading the COVID virus. Well, okay, again. Spreading? Pe people under 20 are not threatened by the virus. So this is this is political propaganda. This is fear-mongering, saying that, you know, children ages 12 to 18 need to get injected. Well, no, they're not threatened by, by COVID. Another lie. I thought, I thought the injection didn't prevent the spread as well so why are they saying well that's that's a big that, that's a big issue that i'd like to see the government's research on because if the if the vaccines truly do stop the spread then you could have some justification for really cracking down on the unvaccinated and just taking away their their civil liberties and constitutional freedoms you know hypothetically you could have some, i'm not i'm not saying it would be the right thing to do you could have Good. You could have some basis for arguing that point, but the government does not produce evidence uh, for the public that shows conclusively that vaccines are stopping the spread. But again, all the talk about children is fear-mongering because children are not threatened by COVID. Then it says, here's another lie. 
While symptoms of COVID-19 in children are often mild, some can get very sick. Oh yeah, I guess like the uh, 14-year-old who died of brain cancer when our chief medical officer claimed publicly that he had died of COVID. Uh, Maybe that's the kind of very sick that we're talking about, sick with brain cancer, because the chief medical officer falsely tells the public that this poor teenager had died of COVID when he had not. And that lie actually flashed around the world as a lie. The exposure of that made international news. Well done. And then they say uh, children here are spreaders. Well, that's been debunked by Dr. J. Bhattacharya and others. Uh, there's a report on our uh, website by J. Bhattacharya. Uh, children are not spreaders of the virus. Now, another the brochure says, since most people are already vaccinated, do I still need to get vaccinated? Yes. The unvaxxed are filling up, clogging up our hospitals. Uh, you see this repeatedly in the brochures. They don't mention that when they talk about the unvaxxed, that includes people that are suffering from vaccine injuries. It includes people that have had one shot uh, and not two. It includes people that have had two shots but have not yet waited two to three weeks later. And most vaccine injuries occur in the first few days. So all of the people hospitalized from vaccine injuries that they got within within a few days of the first or the second shot, they're called unvaxxed. Right. So I'm going to be trying. I don't expect any success. I'm going to be trying to get some more specifics from government on how they define the unvaxxed. And if it's anything like the so-called science we've seen in the last year and, and seven months, all the fear-mongering, you know, telling people that, in Alberta, there's there's 2,900 people that have died of COVID or 3,000 people that have died of COVID, but then not mentioning the fact that we have 27,000 deaths per year, that 95% of these 3,000 deaths are amongst people over 60, uh, two-thirds are for people over 70, more than 50% are people over 80, 75% of these people had three or more serious comorbidities. They don't tell you that. So if you only state 3,000 people have died of COVID, obviously that sounds scary. But again, when you're 85 years old and you've got cancer and heart disease and emphysema, it's not quite honest to pretend, oh, well, COVID killed that person. Well, yeah, COVID had an influence, but to suggest that that these people would, uh, all these people would still be alive today if it wasn't for COVID is false. Right. And uh, I guess that's... Uh at some point here, I just want to interject that people are asking the questions now, uh, why are people pushing this so hard? Or why are public health officials pushing this so hard? And in fact, over the last week, uh, there was a group of MEPs, uh, the European Parliament that made a splash internationally by holding a press conference. I'll provide links to that. There was a uh, Christine Anderson, a German MEP, and then there was a Hungarian uh, MEP as well. Christian. And a Romanian? I saw a clip from a Romanian. Oh, Romanian. Sorry, yes. Is that, right. is that with the, uh, the the contract is 90% blacked out? So the yes, public, that, can, that can, public, yeah. public cannot see the contracts yeah. that have been signed with the uh, companies that are manufacturing vaccines. That's right. And he came up with that great pithy statement, you know, if when a government knows everything about you, that's tyranny. When you know everything about the government, that's democracy. So yeah, that was a. That there's was no a great way speech. if this is a matter of it, it's public health and it's tax dollars, and there's no excuse for 
blacking out terms of a contract. You know, this is different. Like you and I can have a contract together and that's our business and it's private and confidential. And, you know, but when it's a government that is spending tax dollars on something, those contracts, it's outrageous that, that any section of those contracts be blacked out when we're talking about public health and the use of tax dollars. Yeah. I just wanted to ask you, you said you're going to be trying to find out information. What methods are you going to be using? Are you going to be using freedom of information searches? Or are you going to be just writing letters to see if you can get them to answer? Both. Are you, both. Okay. All right. Yeah. So you're going to be digging pretty hard then. Okay, good. Do the best I can. Well, so I, just want, I just want to mention about the contracts. There was a group, uh, there was a story out of India where they had focused on this group that had found some of the contracts. And what they found was that uh, Pfizer in particular was abusing their power, uh, in particular when dealing with poorer nations. I'll, I'll provide a link to that story, which is pretty uh, dramatic. Some of the things that they're doing regarding the, you know, their abuse of power in payments, securing uh, – that kind of thing, and and dictating terms as well, dictating terms and supply. So they go on, they keep on beating the drum about vaccine safety. Uh, they say, yes, the COVID-19 vaccines are safe. Well, again, there's been no long-term testing, and it's, uh, it's overkill. Mm. I would have more respect for governments if they said, well, thus far, you know, the overwhelming majority of people having received the injection are doing just fine. Okay, that could be something you could run with. But it's these bald declarations. And then they say, the evidence is clear. Vaccines are safe and the benefits of getting vaccinated far outweigh the risks. Well, it depends. I think the government can make a very strong case for saying that if you're over 70, that the benefits of getting vaccinated far outweigh the risks. That could be something that uh, you could you could back that up uh, potentially. But to make that across the board and to say that, that under 70 people must get injected is... Uh, that's political science. It's not medical science. Mm-hmm. Now, an interesting stat. An interesting stat they have here is ninety-nine point nine eight percent of vaccinated Albertans have had no serious side effects. You know what? Same percent. Ninety-nine point ninety-eight percent of Canadians have not died of COVID in twenty twenty. Oh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> it seems to support our case as well as theirs. Uh, then they claim again that. Um, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are both safe and effective for children 12 years and over. Where's the long-term standing? If this is harming the reproductive uh, systems of of children, you don't know that until a decade or two decades after the fact. So if a 12-year-old is getting injected today and it harms his or her reproductive system, it might not be until they're 20 or 25 or 30 or 35 that they are wanting to become parents and then discover that the re- reproductive system has been harmed. It's these bald declarations that, yeah, these vaccines are both safe and effective for children 12 years and older. It's propaganda and effective. Uh, how would you judge the effectiveness when children are not threatened by COVID in the first place? That, that, that Again, whole thing is so twisted. I have said it many, many times. Why? It's, it's just so suspicious that they're pushing this hard. And, uh, yeah, I've never seen anything like this in my life. I know that uh, when they were pushing global warming, they sent brochures out to every household in Canada. That was the infamous hockey stick graph back in 1999. Which has been debunked. Yeah, yeah. but that was back in 1999. Now we're getting this in our mailbox, or I assume I'm going to get it, unless you've been hoaxed. <laughs> Still. Okay. Good. 
Is the vaccine harmful to pregnant women or someone who is breastfeeding? No. There is no evidence that COVID-19 vaccines are harmful for those who are pregnant or breastfeeding. What? So these vaccines have been uh, in can... use now for six months. And how many, you know, millions, uh, tens of millions of, of pregnancies are there? There's just no long-term testing. And then they say there's no evidence that COVID-19 vaccines affect fertility. Although I've heard public health officials admit publicly that it has an, it has an impact on menstruation. There are women who spontaneously have a period shortly after getting the vaccine that's not part of the regular cycle. So if this is impacting menstruation, how can you declare there's no evidence that COVID-19 vaccines affect fertility? You know, earth to the government, uh, menstruation and fertility are linked. So if the vaccines are impacting menstruation, how can you declare that it's not impacting fertility? Now, again, if, if we were five years down the road and we'd actually had some proper scientific testing on large numbers of people, then at that point in time, the government potentially could claim that there's no evidence that COVID vaccines affect fertility. But to make the claim right now, in mm -hmm. November of 2021, that's not science. Could this be something that you could take into court and wave in their faces? <laughs> I mean, potentially in the upcoming. You mean what the government? The government brochure? Yeah, the, the fact that I'm know, hanging so on to. I'm I'm hanging on to this one. Let me tell yeah, you because but are you going to send it they to can, the lit litigation uh, team? I don't. I don't micromanage the litigation. Oh, okay. So the law lawyers are going to put forward the best arguments in in court, and of right. course, none of the claims in this brochure are new. Uh, it's just that they're they're put down in writing. And it's nice to have a hard copy because websites can change. Uh, this hard copy piece of paper, uh, as long as it's not destroyed in, in a fire, I'm going to have this on hand uh, 12 months from now or 12 years from now. Frame it. Yeah. So protecting the healthcare system, this is more propaganda. Alberta has a limited number of hospitals and intensive care unit beds available at one time. Well, yeah, and Jason Kenney said in April of 2020 that we would build an extra 1,000 ICU spaces. Has not happened. They admit here in the brochure that it's been only 200 additional ICU spaces. But th this is healthcare system being used as pretext for taking away our rights and freedoms, our right to bodily autonomy, when the government is not getting its act together. And it's a lie to suggest that COVID is causing overcrowded hospitals when we've had overcrowded hospitals for years and years. Right. The same and way that it, it's less than honest to suggest that, uh, you know, COVID is killing all these people in nursing homes when you only go into a nursing home when you're already very much at the end of your life because you've got very serious illnesses. Right. And as we've said in past programs, uh, you know, they really have no right to be claiming that the overtaxed healthcare system is a reason for, you know, vaccination when they are mandating vaccin vaccines for people that they are firing, whether that mm -hmm. be doctors from the College of Physicians and Surgeons or uh, the nurses uh, or the Alberta Health Services, Verna Yu. And, uh, well, it would, almost, it would almost be funny if it wasn't so tragic. It says here in the brochure... Healthcare resources are finite, and Alberta Health Services can only open additional beds if they have the physicians and other professionals to care for the patients in those beds. And now those same physicians and other uh, professionals are being threatened with firing when there's no credible evidence to, to suggest a medical necessity 
for all these people to uh, to get vaccinated. Unless, of course, they drop their mandate here in Alberta and hire all the BC nurses, yes. Right Which on. I'm highly recommending. <laughs> now, more lies. Are, gov- are COVID-19 vaccines mandatory? No, vaccines are not mandatory for the general public, but maybe mandatory for some workers or by some employers. You know, this is just... Wow. It's just disgusting. I, I wow. have heartbreaking stories from people getting fired left, right, and center. People are getting fired because their employers are saying, you have to get injected or else you're going to lose your job. People working from home. I know a Alberta Health Services, the IT department, which is working from home. They don't typically, most of them on a typical day, they don't set foot in a hospital. Uh, maybe occasionally some IT people go into a hospital, but by and large, they're not working in the hospital, the IT people have been told you have to get injected or else you're going to get fired. There's a public health nurse that I met, a registered nurse working for Alberta Health Services from home. She's actually in the, the, the COVID section of Alberta Health, working on public health. She works from home, is threatened with getting fired if she doesn't get injected. University of Calgary employee always works from home, or at least has been since since March of 2020. I don't know what it was like before then. You're working from home all the time. Well, too bad. You're going to get fired if you don't get injected. So to say that, that these vaccines are not mandatory, you can't go to a restaurant, you can't go to the gym, your teenager can't play soccer or hockey or participate in martial arts. And then their backup argument is so pathetic. They say, oh, well, yeah, but you know, you've got this option to pay $80 a week or $120 a week to get these tests all the time to show that you're COVID-free. Well, scientifically, that's wrong because the vaccinated people can get COVID. Why don't they have to uh, get this test all the time? But it's very punitive. Uh, There are a lot of people, I'd venture, I guess, 60-70% of the population, they cannot afford $100 per week per child right? Because you might have two or three kids that are in sports or dance or ballet or soccer or what have you. Um, Majority of people, majority of families, they cannot afford to spend $100 per week per child to keep their child in sports. There's a lot of families can't even afford any sports for their kids. And, you know, thankfully there are programs and subsidies and this, that, and the other thing. So there are some mechanisms to uh, make it possible for low-income people to have their kids in sports. That is out the window completely because now you've got to be upper middle class or wealthy to afford $100 per week per child to keep your child in sports on top of you know the other fees that you're paying for your kid to be in uh, hockey or, or soccer or whatever else. So for a government brochure is that to claim COVID vaccines are not mandatory is just, it, it is outrageous. It is also strange that it is coming out now at the beginning of November. This is maybe something I could see at the beginning of the year, perhaps, you know, when they wanted to get kicked off their vaccine. It's, it's more, it's psychological, it's political propaganda, and it's mm. psychological pressure. For, one, to pressure people that have not taken this injection, and also to create more hatred towards unvaccinated people, because a lot of Albertans are going to receive and read this government brochure uncritically, and it's going to increase hostility towards unvaccinated people as being somehow responsible for that might overcrowded be hospitals. And then maybe that's, I, 
I don't want to go too far down that road. I don't, you know, I want to stick to reading what's there. I don't want to get into intentions. But I'm talking about the probable effect okay. is this is going to, this brochure is going to increase hatred by vilifying the unpopular minority. Should I take ivermectin instead of getting the vaccine? No, the best way to protect yourself is by getting vaccinated. Now, here, another bald assertion. No current conclusive evidence that taking ivermectin reduces the severity of COVID-19 illness. I mean, that's an outright lie. There is evidence. They go on to say in another part of the brochure that the vaccines are not 100% effective. Okay, thanks for your honesty. Well, the same is true of ivermectin. Same is true of uh, hydroxychloroquine. The same is true of zinc and vitamin D and vitamin C. These are not 100% effective. Nobody is claiming that they are 100% effective. But I put it to the government. If ivermectin is only 10% effective, okay, and the the peer-reviewed scientific research, the, the medical literature suggests that the success rate of ivermectin is a lot higher than 10%, right? 70, 80%, according to many studies. But let's, let's just say, for argument's sake, that ivermectin was, was only 10% effective. It's a safe, cheap drug. It has been used since the 1970s by people. Calling it a, suggesting that it's a horse dewormer is intellectually dishonest. There we go again. Um, Intellectually dishonest. Misinformation, John. Misinformation. And then taking misinformation. Taking ivermectin without a doctor's supervision can have serious, even fatal consequences. Yeah, if you take way too much ivermectin, it will make you sick. And potentially, if you took way, 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 way too much ivermectin, sure, it could kill you. Same can be said for aspirin, for Tylenol, for ibuprofen. It's uh, called OD. It's called OD. I mean, name me one drug that is not going to make you sick or kill you if you take it in excess. So yeah, if you take too much ivermectin, uh, it will make you sick. And I guess theoretically on the far end of the spectrum, if you, you know, if you drank a whole bottle of high dose ivermectin, uh, presumably it could kill you. Well, yeah, if you eat a whole bottle of Tylenols, you're likely to die. Mm-hmm. Now, can doctors use alternative treatments on their COVID-19 patients? And it says, All physicians in Canada, including Alberta, have an ethical and professional responsibility only to use treatments approved by Health Canada. Well, interesting. This is positing government as, it reminds me of the argument on free speech. It's kind of, you know, government has the truth, and so government has the right to stamp out falsehood. Therefore, government can censor speech because uh, government has the truth. Off-label. The doctors that I have been speaking with tell me that it is normal and has been normal for decades to use drugs off-label. Off-label means that a drug is originally created for one purpose, and later on, five years, 25 years later, they they happen to discover that this drug is also useful for something else. One Calgary doctor told me that there's a, a drug called trazodone, Trazodone was is an antidepressant, so it was, it, was, it was created and manufactured for the purpose of treating depression. Now, trazodone over time, uh, it's now apparently being prescribed less and less because it was not that effective or the, the side effects were just not worth it. So it's no longer all that popular, but trazodone was created as an antidepressant. What they've discovered later on is that trazodone is very effective for helping people with insomnia. And so if you have, if you're a severe insomniac, you have severe sleeping disorder, 
doctors will prescribe trazodone to help you deal with that severe insomnia. That is called an off-label prescription, right? Because trazodone was created and invented as an antidepressant to help people deal with depression. And now they, they've discovered secondarily that, oh, gee, uh, it's really helpful for some people, you know, in, in the appropriate dosage, of course. People can take trazodone to get help with their severe insomnia. That's off-label. Aspirin is off-label. It's now recommended that um, uh, it's it's a good medic medication to take after you've had a heart attack. That's not why aspirin was originally invented. Ivermectin was originally invented to deal with uh, with some tropical diseases. I think river blindness. I don't have it in front of me. Yeah, it's, now, it's parasitic is what they discovered at first, yeah. So now it's been discovered that ivermectin has been used successfully in India and other countries to treat COVID. That is off-label, okay? So ivermectin is a legal drug. So this is, uh, again, intellectual dishonesty here to say all physicians in Canada, including Alberta, have an ethical professional responsibility only to use treatments that are approved by Health Canada. Well, ivermectin has been approved by Health Canada. It's been prescribed by doctors for decades. And now we've got an off-label use because there's a lot of evidence suggesting that it's helpful in treating COVID. And I go back to my point, if ivermectin was only 10% effective, Okay, if, if we hear this, oh, even if it saves one, one life, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which is a very uh, questionable argument. But we've heard this during lockdowns. You know, it doesn't matter. We can, it doesn't matter how many people we throw into unemployment and poverty and depression and despair. It doesn't matter if we shred the social fabric of society. It doesn't matter if we deprive uh, adult children of their final moments with their own mother, their own father, because, you know, they've got to, <laughs> even though the doctor said, you know, your mother's going to die in the next 12 hours, but you're not allowed to see her because, you know, she might get COVID or you might get COVID or somebody else might get COVID. So you're not allowed to hold the hand of a dying parent, but it's worth it because if it only saves one life, it's worth it. Well, again, I don't buy the, uh, if it only saves one life uh, type of thing. You, you can uh, come up with all kinds of really stupid and evil uh, proposals based on that doctrine. But taking it at face value, if ivermectin saves only one life, right, and this is a cheap drug, Pfizer's not making any profits off of uh, ivermectin, as far as I know. This is a cheap drug. It is a safe drug, which, again, unless you're overdosing, it's not going to harm you. So if ivermectin is only 10% effective, why would we not use it to treat COVID? Well, you know, this item in your brochure seems to fit a pattern of misinformation that we're getting from the government now. It seems very, very slanted towards trying to convince people to take the vaccine. And it, um, I'm wondering how much it cost because uh, I understood that we were at a very high vaccination rate. I don't know why we're wasting money on brochures like this, sending them out to try to convince you know, a very small number of people to take the vaccine. Is this, what is the purpose of this propaganda? Uh, it's, it's an ideology. It, mm -hmm. It's, uh, and it, it, it's government control. I just don't see, there just isn't much science to back up this government brochure. And the biggest red flag are just these uh, broad, blanket, bold declarations that disregard Disregard the fact that COVID is not the unusually deadly killer that governments have made it out to be. It simply isn't. And my source for that is government data. You go to your 
BC, Ontario, Quebec, Alberta, uh, any American state, any country in the world, and you look at the death data, and this is not the Spanish flu of 1918. And I mentioned the Spanish flu of 1918 because that is what was cited by Neil Ferguson of Imperial College in March of 2020. He said COVID would kill tens of millions of people like the Spanish flu did. Well, where are we up to now? In uh, COVID deaths, according to Worldometer, uh, I looked at it just the other day, and I think it was uh, 5 million deaths attributed to COVID. That's in a year and a half. 55 million people die every year. So you're looking at 80, 85 million deaths in the past year and a half. So they say there's 5 million people who died with COVID. But then of that 5 million, you've got half of them over 80, two-thirds of them over 70, 95% of them over 60, 75% of them with uh, three or more serious comorbidities. So to push this fear and saying we should all be afraid of, of COVID when the government's own data tells us that it's not having a big impact on life expectancy. Uh, like if, if COVID didn't exist, you'd have pretty much everybody dying at the same time, more or less, than what they would have otherwise. So yes, COVID will shorten the lives uh, by several months. It will shorten the lives of people. But you look at the whole population, this is not something to fear. That is the biggest lie that underlies all of the other lies. The whole brochure is founded on false fear of a virus that is more in the range of an annual flu than it is the Spanish flu of 1918. Well, that brochure sounds like it's packed with information, John. Let me ask you, is the cycle threshold of the PCR test in that brochure? Is the PCR test explained? No, no, oh. Kevin, it is not. Uh, they are not saying. So the PCR, for first-time listeners to the podcast, the PCR test, uh, which was never designed to diagnose COVID, it functions on uh, taking viral remnants and then amplifying, 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 amplifying. You can take anybody's uh, mucus sample from their nose, and if you amplify that 40 times, you're going to have 99% of the people testing positive for COVID. So it matters a great deal for these PCR tests, whether the cycle threshold is 40 or 35 or 30 or 25. Uh, Dr. Fauci, the uh, American uh, chief medical officer, has said that uh, anything over 30 cycles is suspect. So will governments disclose what uh, what the cycle threshold is for the PCR tests? No, that's a secret. So even there, uh, th that brings me back again to the unvaccinated in hospitals. Everybody going into hospital gets tested for COVID. But if you, uh, if you got in there because of a car accident or a heart attack, you get the PCR test, uh, which has false positive rates you know, as high as 90%. You test positive for COVID, well, now suddenly you're a COVID patient. The same way that in many jurisdictions, uh, you know, we've had cases of, of people dying in hospices. They get the COVID test. Oh, they died of COVID. Anybody with COVID in their body is deemed to have died of COVID. So these stats are simply not reliable. I wish they were. And uh, I would have, again, I would have, if, if government would simply answer straightforward questions, I would have a lot more confidence. But I, I cannot have the confidence in governments when, you know, Alberta, for example, won't even explain uh, how they came up with this projection of 32,000 deaths uh, when they made that projection in April of 2020. Righto. 
Well, I think we've uh, shown a few cracks in the mandates and misinformation this show. Maybe I'll use that as the title. Anyways, that's great. I think we'll call an end to episode 38 of Justice with John Carpey. Thanks so much for going through that, John, and I hope to talk to you next week. Thanks, Kevin. Have a good week. Bye.